You're listening to the Horizons Church Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Horizons Church Podcast. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. That's always changing it up. I had to get tired of that. I felt no formulaic opening here. Yeah. No, I guess Fred Guidi opens every episode. That's true. They're something. listening to the Horizons <laughs> Church podcast. <laughs> exactly. Which I feel like kind of renders my greetings redundant, but yeah, don't sweat it. It's personal, you know. You can ask me how I'm doing? No. Okay. I'm kidding. How are you? <clears throat> what business is it of yours how I'm doing? <laughs> Friendo. <laughs> I work so hard. To, to write out, like, the phonetic <laughs> pronunciation of the way he speaks. You gotta get that what, er. What, what is that, oh, even? That is a, not you. It's a classic quote from No Country for Old Men. No uh, Country for Old Men. Delivered by Javier Bardem. Of course, maybe that's not how you pronounce his last name. Please don't hold me to it. He would kill me. He is a big, frightening He's man. He's a beast. I love him, though. I would love to drink coffee with him. And I think he would accept. I'm sure he would. Yeah. He strikes me as a pleasant fellow who would... He really does. He seems very charming. Which except is... when he's really angry and in scary roles in films. Yes, like he was in the film No Country, no Country for, for Old Men. men. Yeah. He's very frightening. He in is frightening. We're going to get into that later. We are going to get into that because we're in the next episode of the Creative Commentary. I'm not just being annoying. There's a reason I said these things. <laughs> <laughs> wasn't purely for fun. We don't do that around here. <laughs> if it doesn't connect to work, we send it back. <laughs> That's obviously a joke. So, no, we're actually going to be looking at the intersection of yeah. the book of Ecclesiastes and the themes explored in that book and the themes that it shares with the film. No Country for Old Men. Or rather, should I say it the other way around, the themes that that film shares with Ecclesiastes. Yeah. Ecclesiastes came first. Chronology. It's at least a couple thousand at least. years prior <laughs> low ball in it. to <laughs> this film, to the advent of film in general. Yeah. The preacher could not have imagined film, I don't think. I don't think that probably was even a concept in his imagination. I Maybe mean, it was. Wow, that's a thought. If the author of Ecclesiastes was Solomon, as is sometimes posited. Do you think they were futurists in that time? So what do you mean by so, futurists? Uh, okay, this is maybe going to be a great disservice to the actual futurists of our time. But like the people who look ahead to perhaps the fate that our future holds, for good or ill, but in terms of the advancement of society and technology, or perhaps the erosion of resources, what that means for our lifestyle, how we would adapt, mm-hmm. and perhaps what technology lies in our future for our benefit. But I wonder if they're like, "Uh, what if we could have a toothbrush? (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's an honest thought. You know, if there was anyone who did think like that, it was probably King Solomon. That's awesome. Probably. Well, he had people all over the world coming to look at the things he was saying and doing and building. Yeah. I would guess. Industrious. Yeah. I'm purely guessing. That is not. Maybe it was lost to time, like concrete. Yeah, maybe. Way to go, Rome. Yeah, way to lose concrete for centuries. Yeah. Gosh. So, you have a spoiler alert, though, before we get too far (laughs) into our actual discussion. Yeah. As we connect the two halves of our discussion, we will definitely be getting into some serious spoiler territory for the aforementioned film. So, if you haven't seen it, or you're just absolutely terrified of spoiling it, ooh, yeah, watch out, because it's going to be ruined. Like, really (laughs) important things are going to be ruined. But, I will say this. This is the kind of movie, and I do believe this, this is not a caveat. It is a caveat. This is not, like, just fakery to pat ourselves on the back. It is the kind of movie that you actually may benefit from having managed expectations. Because it is in it is a non-traditional film in many ways. So I still think you could listen to this and have a great appreciation for the experience. Truly. So Ecclesiastes. Yeah. It's an interesting book. You read that book? Listen, all I'm saying is 
You get a lot of the wrong ideas reading that book. <laughs> okay. I mean, the opening lines are basically meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless, oh, says boy. the teacher. That is your introduction to the teacher. I said that Tuesday. <laughs> Everything is meaningless. <laughs> Ethan walks into the office and that's just what he says. Like, walks out. You just summoned me and I'm there. I heard, I heard that. <laughs> that's... Uh, uh, but uh, yeah, you're introduced to this character called the teacher who is identified as a son of David, king of Jerusalem. So a lot of scholars have associated that with Solomon, yeah. but it's not really it's not laid definite. out clearly. Yeah. Okay. So you have this character and that's basically your introduction to him. Meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless, which that goes against, at least on the surface level, the flow of basically the whole biblical narrative Yeah. that God created the world with a purpose mm-hmm. and meaning and intent And he put human beings in it to kind of cultivate that purpose, meaning, and intent. So... It's an interesting, interesting read, and you really kind of need to approach it carefully. I don't know if that's the right word, but hmm. you especially do not want to take a book like Ecclesiastes and just rip a phrase out of context and be like, <laughs> aha, behold, the truth, everything is meaningless, therefore yeah. just sit and do nothing. That's not going to do it that's for you. That's not going to do it for you, and that's not really what the book is actually about. Right. So if you read through the whole book and you look at it in three broad strokes, so to speak, what you see is how this teacher is relating the fleeting and paradoxical nature of life in relation to time, the business of actually living life, like in day-to-day happenings, and in relation to death. So you could probably read more scholarly work than what I'm going to say. But many, many might even be too strong a term. There are a number of folks who do not like that translation. They do not like the word meaningless there. In fact, depending on what translation of scripture you're reading, you might read it as vanity. Oh, Um, I'm trying to think of what other terms right off the top of my head it might be translated into. It's a hard term to translate. It's a a Hebrew word, hebel. It's difficult to convey the true sense of it. Meaningless and vanity kind of get at the heart of it. But that word, I think if I'm remembering correctly, more literally means smoke or vapor. Okay. So what you ideally would have is this image of something that is fleeting and temporary, like smoke or vapor. But then you also have this paradoxical nature to smoke. Like, you know how smoke rises from a fire? Obviously, yeah. it looks beautiful, solid and beautiful, right? Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, both, a, both, <laughs> and, both, and solid, beautiful. But then when you try to grab it, it is not solid, as it turns out. It's yeah. oh, like it's very visible to the eye, like it's ephemeral. Yeah, but it has the same qualities as wind. <laughs> but it's like visible and it's weird and paradoxical. Yeah, like that. And that's more or less what the teacher is getting at when he says this repeated phrase throughout the book: meaningless, meaningless, or vanity, uh, vanity, okay. vanity. It seems quite honestly like the original word would be of more use. Yeah, I would like, honestly... Just give me the original word and a footnote. Yeah, hebel. Which, like, you know, we did that with some words like baptize. Yeah. There were perhaps some more political reasons that that was just transliterated. (laughs) But another reason was you do have a lot of richness in that term that just you don't quite get by just translating it immerse or dip or dunk, you know? Like, ah, like, what word can we... Ah, no, let's just keep it baptized. We're going to have some dips this weekend. (laughs) (laughs) that That doesn't sell. So, what you have then is this idea of 
throughout the book, the middle of the book, let's take it from that angle first. The bulk of the book, the teacher explores how the daily business of living is kind of like Hebel. Okay. And the way he relates that is the things that we chase after to find purpose. The things that we're tempted, I should say, to chase after Mm. to find purpose, like career or wealth Mm -hmm. or pleasure, just as a few examples. What you find is that if you pursue those as purpose giving, in other words, those are what fuel your sense of meaning in life. Mm -hmm. It's like chasing the wind or like trying to catch smoke in your hand. You can't do it. What you find is that it leaves you wanting and a concrete example that he actually uses. Let's say you spend your whole life trying to acquire wealth and that gives you a sense of purpose because you want to enjoy this wealth because underneath that you really want to have pleasure. Well, a common thing that happens, at least especially back in apparently the teacher's day, but still I think to a large degree happens now is, hey, we're going to save up all this money so that I can enjoy retirement. That is the goal of my life is to enjoy a retirement. Work yourself into the grave just so you can enjoy that. That's exactly it. Like by the time that you're actually in a spot where you can enjoy that accumulated wealth in retirement, most of the time you're (laughs) too old to enjoy it in the way that you would have enjoyed it when you were just starting your career at, you know, 22 or 25 or however old you were and it becomes this form of hebel and you end up looking back thinking hmm that was an interesting way to try to find meaning and purpose in my life that ultimately will let you down and so he applies this imagery of hebel to a number of pursuits that we try to find meaning from derive purpose from that ultimately end up like smoke They're fleeting, temporary, and then when you try to catch them, it turns out they're ephemeral and they're gone. But the other way he approaches this is the beginning of the book and the end of the book. The beginning of the book, he relates it to time. Okay. And I think there's at least this idea in his mind that we want to try to control time. Like there's a sense that we feel like, oh, you know, I take time on my own terms. Yeah. And one of the images he ends up using is saying, you look at the mountains. Those mountains have been around way longer than you have, and they're going to be around way longer than you are. Mm-hmm. Time is going to march on ceaselessly no matter what you do. You cannot change that. You are going to get old. You are not going to be young forever. You're not going to have the advantages of being in your prime mm. forever. Every day, those are ticking away from you in right, some regard. Yeah. So in a certain sense, time drags us all on yeah. ceaselessly, and there's nothing you can do to stop it. So that's its own form of Hebel. But then the final thing, which is really kind of depressing, but I mean, it's true, is that death is the great equalizer that comes for us all. So it doesn't matter if you're poor or if you're wealthy. It doesn't matter if you're young or if you're old, whether you were advantaged or not, whatever you're station in life and whatever you have done, there is nothing you can do to stop the fact that death has a claim on you and will make a good on that claim at one point or another. Yes. And if that's all there is, then everything is Hebel. Everything is Hebel because you're just going to die one day and all the things that you've done, what is that going to matter to you? Nothing. When you're dead, you know, when your body is in the grave. So the author of Ecclesiastes is kind of exploring that. He's kind of exploring how if you take life and try to find purpose solely and merely in the pursuit of wealth or pleasure or career, time and death are going to take that all away from you. Oh, yeah. And then even if you quote unquote achieve the thing that you're after for a sense of purpose, it's like smoke. It's like chasing the wind. 
when you're going to grab hold of it and find, oh, that isn't solid. That isn't fulfilling. And now what have I got left? <laughs> like, mm. On to the next thing that won't fulfill me. Yeah. And so he actually, at the end of all of this philosophical and depressing, it's almost Nietzsche-like. It is really very, very much like that. Yeah. But at the end of his discussion, he doesn't end in despair. Okay. It doesn't like, okay, so all this is going to happen. So just eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. He doesn't take the Epicurean <laughs> Greek school on life here. In fact, what we have at the end of this book is, okay, the matter has been heard in light of the fact that life is fleeting and paradoxical. Fear God and keep his commands because that's going to lead to true life. And of course, we know that's going to lead to eternal life. And that, again, paradoxically enough, is what enables you to truly enjoy life for what it is, Hmm. to enjoy the good things that God gives you. It's not in finding your purpose in them. It's in fearing God, keeping his commandments, and letting those moments of happiness and joy come as they are. In fact, he actually draws out, he says, if you fear God and keep his commands, enjoy the days of your youth. Enjoy those days. Eat and drink and enjoy it. Enjoy life for what it is, but don't make that your ultimate goal and your ultimate purpose, which is, you know, you have to slog through slog through maybe a bit of a negative and strong term, but you, you have to kind of wade through some pretty existential matters. Yeah, that's very true. Before he gets you to that point. Clearly, um, yeah. And actually, another thing he adds at the end is don't spend your whole life trying to contemplate all of this <laughs> because it will lead to existential crises. And Isn't there, uh, is, I don't know if it's the Stoics that said this, but like, oh gosh, I'm going to butcher it. Sorry, Stoics. Because <laughs> you know they're all listening. Um, <laughs> something about like more knowledge leads to more sadness. Funny enough, that is actually more or less a statement that is found in the book of Ecclesiastes itself. Really? Ecclesiastes 118, reading from the Christian Standard Bible today, says, For with much wisdom is much sorrow, as knowledge increases, grief increases. So, Oh, that's wonderful. I mean, it's, well, I said it's... The connection is a thrilling experience, is what I I really meant to say. A rewarding crossover. Thank you. So if it is the Stoics, they stole it from (laughs) the teacher. (laughs) Can we copy strike the Stoics? Oh, that was dumb. (laughs) But we, if you strip away the kind of the hope angle that we get at the very end, we actually see those very despairing themes in a lot of the work by the Cohen brothers. Yes. But most specifically, as we teased, we see a lot of that in No Country for Old Men. I think it's perhaps when it's most clear. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because we we start the story, we begin our tale with this lead character, Llewellyn, not what I would typically consider the name of a good old boy in the 1970s desert of South Texas. (laughs) (laughs) But... Played by Josh Brolin, no less, who's pretty manly man. He is, this is probably one of my favorite roles he's ever been in. Yeah. He's not even purple in this. (laughs) That's right. I'm insulting That was a a Thanos reference, everybody. No bones about it. But he goes to these absurd lengths, stolen money in tow, because that's his whole deal here, just to say one step ahead of the most nightmarish villain I have ever seen on screen. Now, just a point on that, right? You have the whole rogues gallery of horror cinema, right? You have Freddy and Jason and Michael Myers. Give me a break. Jigsaw, I don't think so. I mean, even when Star Wars came out, Darth Vader for years was considered to be like one of the the most looming villains of cinema. And I, you know, I get it. Yeah, I think he's he's a staple. He's like the iconic villain. He's not spooky. No. But he has this looming threat of dread, right? I mean, kids of the era had Vader nightmares. Yeah. (laughs) I don't think he has anything on Anton Chigurh. 
No, he is a frightening oh, man. Oh my God. And that, that's the villain of this tale. But I don't know if it's, if it's worth delving into the particular scene that even to this day gives me chills. So in the story, as uh, perhaps you realize by now, Josh Brolin is on the run with his stolen money, but he's being pursued by this villain, Anton Chigurh. Absolute, absolute psychopath. So there's this moment, he's like in the second or third floor of this rickety old motel, wooden floors, that sort of thing. And he knows he's being pursued and he knows this threat is in the building. He's being a little bit smart, but let's be real. He already has a gunshot wound and a half at this point. But he turns all his lights out. He sits on this squeaky old bed in the quiet, dark silence. He just keeps his eyes fixed on this just shred of light at the bottom of the door because it's that kind of motel. Yes. And you hear footsteps and they're closer. And then you see the shadows of two feet right at the door. But but then they walk away. Oh, oh, well, maybe he's safe. Except the next sound you hear is the squeaking of a light bulb being removed from its socket. <laughs> because this villain is 10 steps ahead. And he has just, I mean, Josh Brolin's only advantage has just evaporated. It is chilling. I mean, this this villain is the villain's villain. <laughs> He's a fright. He is, and he even looks spooky. Oh my gosh! Is this like disturbing haircut? He does have <laughs> I don't know how to describe it. I mean, you look at him and you're just like, I do not want to be his friend. No, I do not want to look at him. I don't want to speak to him. I don't want to think about him. Oh gosh. And his smile, it is is the stuff of nightmares. It is like the first, I know we're delving here. (laughs) We're we're kind of fanboying because we both love this movie so much, but that early on in the movie, he comes up to this car and there's this innocent man inside and he just looks at him and smiles and says, step out of the car, sir. And it's just so (laughs) freaky. Like, I don't know how else to do. Like, oh my gosh. Uh, And he does so in a stolen uh, cop cruiser. Yeah. Woof. So, yeah, he's a bad guy. But yeah. all of this absolute terror, I mean, he is an unstoppable force of nature, but it makes Llewellyn's efforts feel all the more absurd. I mean, pathetic. Yeah, he is just a normal guy running from this <laughs> psychotic professional hitman. Exactly. And, I mean, he's going to these obscene lengths just to barely survive by the skin of his teeth. And for what? For his stolen drug money that he just happened upon? Yeah. For, for well, I mean, it, for the fleeting chance that this will somehow pan out for him. But, I mean, okay, nevertheless, we follow him through this desperate futility of survival. And if there was any line to sum up a Coen Brothers movie, it's that one. I mean, the, mm, but yeah. it is most poignant when we see it played out in this film. Because after all his efforts, here's the spoiler, after all of these extreme efforts we've gone through with him, yeah. he's simply killed off screen by nameless criminals in a hotel shootout. Yeah, Not even Anton Chigurh. It's not even Anton Chigurh who no. kills him. And we don't see it. We don't get an explanation. It's just a matter of record now. Yeah. Oh, he died. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> Hebel. <laughs> Hebel. It is. It movie. is Hebel, though. The whole movie. Yeah. Hebel the movie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and the weird thing is, this is only half the story, right? Because it is a little bit weird to kill off your, your protagonist at that point in the film. Yeah. But it is, it's not the full scope of what's going on. Because this film also, it kind of, this is going to broach a topic that I really, I, I really love talking about. In many ways, I would call this kind of the semi-modern Western as mm. it takes place in the 70s. But it's also kind of the anti-Western mm. because we're not given this iconic dusty road shootout in the middle of town. See, we do have a sheriff, right? Yeah. But he's this you know, aging man played by Tommy Lee Jones who is increasingly out of touch with the times. I mean, he does yeah. in fact truly feel out of place that he would fit better 
in that old west town. Yeah, he says as much in the opening monologue. Exactly. And the villain is not standing with a shred of honor at the other end of the street in a black cowboy hat chewing on a cheroot. (laughs) He's a psychopath out of a horror movie. And here's the thing. There is no showdown. They don't even cross paths, if I'm correct. I don't think they ever meet. Yeah, they get like close, but they they never actually do it. It's absolutely wild. Yeah. But it really has this strange dichotomy where it does feel like it's kind of honoring the tale of the Western, but completely upends it. Yeah, it's and that's kind of like life in Ecclesiastes. Everything is subverted. It's like you expect it to be this way based on everything you've been told and everything you've been taught to expect. But no, life does not play on those terms. I do think it is very honest in that way. Yeah. Because there are moments for the mundane and Mm -hmm. it truly feels like the chaos injected into the day-to-day in in a way that feels a little bit desperate, I think. And Mm -hmm. what we eventually reach is what I've seen described as an anti-climax. Because as I said, there is no showdown. But I think, like you said, it really folds into the overarching futility of the whole situation. It it permeates every sequence of the film, which sounds terribly depressing. But (laughs) there's, in fact, there's even a a line in the film. The sheriff's relative, I think it's his uncle, says to him in this very quiet, mundane scene, he says, you can't stop what's coming. It ain't waiting on you. That's vanity. Oh, yeah. When you said that earlier, I kind of flipped out. Yeah. (laughs) Vanity. It's hell. I mean, at the very end, in fact, you have the sheriff finally at the point of retirement describing these dreams he had to his wife. And in the very last one, which is the closing moments of the film, sorry, massive spoiler, he describes this dream he had. And I truly feel that it's very open to interpretation. But I think the clear underlying thread is death. But it's not necessarily described in a negative light, more of a just a, an honest acknowledgement. Yeah. And it's very poignant for the character who is really the subject of the unapologetic passing of time. Yeah. It's just kind of it lets you rest in that, mm-hmm. if you can say rest in that, because regardless of the power invested in you by the great state of Texas or uh, the absolute pit of evil villainy or even the good intentions, death is still the great equalizer and time is still unapologetic. It is. Wow. Hebel. Hebel. I like your alternative title for this. Hebel the movie. <laughs> it really is like a monument to the idea. But I don't think that's wrong. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think it is responsible for delivering you from that right. emotional place. I think it can be worthwhile to acknowledge that and to rest in that for a moment and recognize. Yeah. I think it can be very humbling. But yeah, it's quite a thing. Yeah. And I think that's part of where the teacher in Ecclesiastes comes from. Is yeah. Once you realize that in many ways, life and wealth and pleasure and mm-hmm. career, all these things are hebel, mm-hmm. you're actually, again, paradoxically freed to actually live yeah. life and enjoy it. They're no longer your god. Yeah. And I know the Coen brothers did not intend to deliver hope in any in no. any fashion, but ironically, the movie is a testament to the futility of chasing these peculiar things yeah. like money or even fighting the passage of time. The movie really shows that that is its vanity. Yeah. Wow. Amazing. <laughs> Good stuff. Would recommend. If you're looking for a more lighthearted look at the themes of Ecclesiastes, might I recommend the cinematic classic Groundhog's Day starring Bill Murray? Wait, I think it's, is, it, is it a singular groundhog? Yeah, whoops. Groundhog Day. 
<laughs> Blooper alert. Groundhog uh, day. Uh, well, this has been fun. Yeah, maybe word of the wise. It is occasionally very violent and then just not violent. Yeah, actually, on that note, before we sign off here, it's interesting to me that the movie is definitely very violent. Yeah. But as the movie progresses, the violence becomes less pronounced, is I guess the right word. Like, at the beginning of the movie, it's very visceral, yeah. very violent. There are some very frightening deaths that happen. Mm-hmm. Like, just be warned. Like, yeah. this is a violent movie. But that violence, though it in some ways increases throughout the movie, the visual perception of it kind of yeah. decreases. That's true. It's just And even the way it's portrayed on or off screen yeah. transforms. Because, like, at the beginning of the movie, you have a very violent mm-hmm. event happen mm-hmm. that involves a death. And at the end of the movie, the guy that you've been following dies off screen. Yeah. You see nothing. There's even a prominent secondary character who you do not actually witness the death of on screen. Yeah. Good old... Well, you know what? I'm not going to say his name. I love the actor, and you'll figure it out pretty quickly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff Good indeed. Discussion. Ecclesiastes. Haunting. No for old it's men. haunting, but it's something. It's something to to learn from. It I is. Think. It is. Hebel indeed. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you have any questions on this, you want to discuss it with us, or you just want to interact with us in any way, shape, or form, you can email us at podcast@horizonschurch.net yes, or sir. interact with us on social media you because can. we do that. We do. So thanks as always for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Mm-hmm.